Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Hi, Covenant family and friends. Time flies, and this is the final month of 2020. Let's be sensitive to what God has intended for us this year and seek to finish well. I trust through the exposition of the Gospel of Mark, each of us had the opportunity to examine ourselves week by week in light of the prophetic burden of greater discipleship in 2020. Today, we come to the religious trials of Jesus by the Sanhedrin Council, as well as the civil trial by Pilate. And in between is the infamous episode of the denial of Peter. May our time today allow the Holy Spirit to examine our faith and strengthen our discipleship. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in humility and worship today. We ask that through the trials of our life, we can be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. We put on the full armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the evil one. Open our hearts, Lord, once again, so that we might behold Your face. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have you ever doubted God's goodness and plan for your life? I have. I asked God why my children should suffer from their skin eczema up to this day in their life. I asked God why my mom should have a stroke when she was going through chemotherapy treatment for her cancer. Of course, as a pastor, I know the answer to these questions in my head. But deep in my heart, I still wondered why. As Christians, we are not exempted from doubts in our lives. In fact, doubt is part and parcel of our Christian pilgrimage. I like what the novelist and theologian Frederick Bigner said about doubt. He said, doubts are like the ends in the pens of faith. They keep it awake and moving. However, there is a world of difference between doubt and unbelief. Sincere doubts lead us to seek and trust the sovereign Lord even though we don't understand. But persistent and unbelief leads us down the treacherous road of pride and rebellion. In our passage today, you will see the full-blown effect of unbelief. No matter how much Jesus had tried to reveal himself through his teachings and authenticated himself with wondrous miracles, the religious establishment of the day simply would not believe. They put the Son of God on trial. They cross-examined Him on the witness stand. They were not seeking for the truth. They simply want to nail Him. Away with this blasphemous man. We don't want to have anything to do with Him. So as we look at the passage today and see how much we can identify with their attitudes and behaviours. The first point to consider is that we can defy God in our anger. Allow me to read this passage to you 
please follow me in your Bible. In Mark chapter 14, verse 53 to 65, in the ESV Bible, And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is this that this man testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. It was already past midnight. But all the powerful religious leaders of the land were making their way to the private residence of the chief priest Caiaphas. The Sanhedrin council consists of 70 men. There were no WhatsApp chat group, no SharePoint those days. But verse 55 tells us they had already had a common verdict. is to put Jesus to death. Jesus was placed in the middle of a sizable, torch-lit hall. And the council took their places in an elevated semicircle around Jesus. Though the assembly had all the trappings of a legal proceeding, but it was not legal at all. For according to his own rules, it was not to make any final judgments at night. Nor was it to do so outside his sacred chambers in the temple nor was it a capital offence to be determined during the Passover. And in capital cases, a verdict of guilty required a second sitting on the following day. Nevertheless, they began their charade, looking for unanimous evidence from false witnesses to convict Jesus of a capital offence. Look at the irony of it all. At the end of verse 55, they found no evidence against Jesus. End of verse 56, the testimony of the witnesses did not agree. The only thing they could master against Jesus is found in verse 58 was, oh, he said he would destroy the holy temple and rebuild it within three days. That too didn't hold water. And recorded in verse 59, their testimony did not agree. So out of sheer frustration and embarrassment, the high priest tried to break the silence of Jesus in verse 60. Are you going to answer any of these charges? Jesus didn't need to. They simply had no case against him. Truly, it was a fulfillment of Isaiah 53 verse 7. 
he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before his shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Finally, in verse 61, the high priest asked point blank, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? In the Greek construction, the wording is put in the form of a statement with a question implied. Meaning, it goes this way, you are the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One. The you is emphatic and the Blessed One is a Jewish understanding for God's name. Translated, it means you said you are God's Son, right? And immediately Jesus replied, I am. And that gave Jesus the death sentence. It was totally blasphemous to claim divine sonship as well as to sit exclusively on the right hand of God. So in verse 63, the high priest tore his garments as a sign of great distress and grief. And the rest jumped in angrily to mock disgrace and to beat him. In summary for point one today, the religious leaders could not accept the truth. They were simply looking for evidence to accuse him falsely. And as a result, they defy God in their anger. In application, if you are not a believer today and you are listening to this sermon, then I urge you not to have any preconceived notions or assumptions on who Jesus is. If you are really seeking for the truth, then go on a journey to discover the Jesus of Nazareth. Scan the QR code at the end of the service so that we can process the evidence with you. I believe you'll be awed by your findings. There is just no one like Jesus and He will change your life forever. But if you are a Christian listening to this sermon, then I urge you to consider how easy it is for us to defy God in our anger. And this is especially so when we suffer an injustice or going to some painful situations in our life. And more so when we believe that we have been serving God faithfully and we're living an upright life. When these bad things happen to us as good people, oh, it's so easy to scream at God and say, you are not fair. You don't care. Where are you when I needed you most? Brothers and sisters, how do we deal with these thoughts and feelings? How do we square this with the goodness and the justice of God? I empathize with you in your ordeal and your pain. But here are some perspectives that I hope can help us when we are found in those difficult times. Pastor Rick Warren from Saddleback Church shared this in his book on the purpose-driven life. He said, anytime I accuse God of being unfair, I'm foolishly implying God, I'll make a better God than you because if I was God, I'll be more fair than you are. He went on to say, the next time you start to rant about God's unfairness to you, remind yourself, of these five truths. And right here, I ask you to take a picture of these five truths because it will serve us one day when we feel that God is not fair. 
The first, he says, everything I have is an undeserved gift from God. I wouldn't even exist if it weren't for God's grace. The next breath of air I take is a gift of God. That's the first perspective. Secondly, I don't know what God knows and I can't see what God sees. So I should trust Him. Thirdly, life on earth is unfair because of sin, not because of God. Our rebellion against God has broken everything on this planet. This isn't heaven where everything works perfectly. Nothing works perfectly here. Fourth, God sent Jesus to save us from the judgment day when He will balance the books, right all wrongs, and administer justice. And finally, it was not fair for Jesus to die in my place for my sins. But He did. Pastor Rick Warren continued to say this. Now I start each day with the phrase, God is good. That gives me the focus that everything that happens to me may not be fair or may not be good. But it goes through a good God. Then it is changed into something that happens for my good. I know these truths or perspectives may be hard to take in when we are in our pain and agony. But I pray it will help us see God for who He really is. Not some demigods that we command to serve our needs, but that we bow to His sovereignty and learn to trust like Job. When he said these words, I'm convinced you can do anything and everything. Nothing and no one can upset your plans. In the Message Bible, Job 42 verse 1. Brothers and sisters, this is what we are capable of, that we can defy God in our anger. But not only that, the second sermon point today, we can deny God in our fear. For that, I'll read from Mark chapter 14, verse 66 to 72. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystander, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystander again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse of himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Let's trace the footsteps of Peter's denial. Back in Mark chapter 14, verse 29, Peter boldly exclaimed, Even though they all far away, I will not. But Jesus told him that before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Verse 31, 
but he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So it wasn't just Peter's strong conviction. The rest of the disciples swear the same thing too. Then in Mark chapter 14, verse 54, And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. It is interesting to note that in John's Gospel, chapter 18, it tells us that there was another disciple who was with Peter that night and they followed Jesus after his arrest. But Peter was the one who went further into the courtyard. So up to this point, we really must congratulate Peter for his continued courage. But notice from the initial bold declaration, I will not forsake you or deny you, he has now moved to following Jesus from a distance. One commentator said this, Peter had forsaken a discipleship of costly following for one of safe observation. His distance already foreshadowed his denial. And finally, he came to a breaking point. While Jesus was standing trial above the courtyard, Peter too will soon undergo his own trial below the courtyard. You know, there are three things that we can learn and we need to note about Peter's denial. Firstly, when a servant girl said to Peter the first time in verse 67, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus, Peter replied in verse 68, I neither know nor understand what you mean. Mark's usage of the two Greek words help us understand the extent of the denier. The first is no, oida, tends to denote theoretical knowledge. And the second, understand, epistamai, refers to practical knowledge. See, in other words, Peter's denier is a total denier of any association in theory and practice. The NIV Study Bible says it's an expression used in Jewish law courts for a former legal denier. So the saga continues. Peter then quits the warm fire and heads out to the gateway. And just then, he heard the rooster crow. Then came round two. The servant girl accuses Peter a second time and says to the bystander in verse 69, this man is one of them. Verse 70, he replied, Peter denied it. The use of the imperfect tense of the Greek verb for denied in verse 70 means that Peter was denying Jesus continually and repeatedly. Then comes the third thing that we can note about this denier. The final accusation, which was the boldest, and so is Peter's denier. They recognized the Galilean language and the dialect he spoke in verse 70. And therefore, Peter replied in verse 71. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Peter was not simply being profane by saying bad words, but he was swearing by God's name, which in the Hebrew culture, it is even worse than profanity. Then the rooster crowed a second time in verse 72. And the avalanche of shame and guilt fell upon Peter. For he remembered what Jesus said to him prophetically. And Peter broke down and he wept bitterly. 
Luke's gospel gives us an additional glimpse of this immense pain Peter experienced. In Luke 22, verse 60 to 61, it reads, And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Just imagine, Peter's eyes and Jesus' eyes locked on. Oh, what pain it must be. In summary, for point two, Peter the rock, the bravest of the twelve, denied God in his fear. In application, honestly, will any one of us do better than Peter under those circumstances? Out of the twelve, only two followed Jesus up to the gateway of the courtyard. But eventually, only Peter went in. And yes, he succumbed to his fear, but which of us won't? I'm glad this episode of Peter's Deny is recorded in the Bible to remind us that the strongest amongst us can still fail. But I'm even more glad that something else is written for our discipleship in verse 72. And he broke down and wept. Peter broke down and wept. Because this is a picture of hope. This is a picture of spiritual grief and subsequent repentance. This is where Peter will become the rock solid. For it is not based on his own greed and strength, but upon the divine strengthening of God. That is the place that we want to be when we fail the Lord. For this will be the place where we will find true strength and be anchored to the rock of ages, Jesus Christ. Huxon Taylor once said, God chose me because I was weak enough. He trains somebody to be quiet enough and little enough and then uses him. The American evangelist Vance Hafner writes, The Lord had the strength and I had the weakness. So we teamed up. It was an unbeatable combination. Brothers and sisters, may our weaknesses, our fears, and even our failures become a place where we will find His grace and His strength. Yes, we can defy God in our anger. We can deny God in our fear. And finally, we can discard God in our hardness. Due to time and the number of verses here, I won't read it. But please follow me closely in your open Bible. In Mark chapter 15, verse 1 to 15. From the religious trial of Jesus earlier on, he is now moved to the civil trial under Pilate. Now, there are more details in other Gospels on Jesus' encounter with Pilate. But suffice to note, that there is a very clear shift in the plot as the religious trial was to find Jesus guilty of blasphemy. But in the civil trial under Pilate, it was to find him guilty of high treason and therefore a capital offence to the Roman authority. That is why Pilate asked Jesus in Mark 15 verse 2, Are you the king of the Jews? And for the rare times, Jesus replied, You have said so. Upon that, the religious leaders jumped in at verse 3 to make the queue. But Pilate was amused 
as Jesus kept complete silence. And when Jesus made no reply, he was amazed. You know, Mark's Gospel often uses words like amazed or astonished to record the responses of people. But it does not necessarily constitute faith in God. Yes, one may be amazed and yet not receive the amazing grace. Pilate's offer to release Jesus to the people in verse 9 was probably a calculated move to see he could gain some political favour from them. But it backfired as the chief priest stirred the crowd to release Barabbas instead. Interestingly, the criminal's name Barabbas in Hebrew means son of the Abba. Now, can you see the irony and the heightened drama here? Which one do you want me to release? Barabbas, the son of Abbas, or father? Or do you want me to release Jesus, the Messiah, the King of the Jews, who is the true son of the Heavenly Father? And the people blindly cried out, Barabbas, Barabbas. And then Pilate asked in verse 12, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they rebelliously cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! It is noteworthy that in verse 10, these words are recorded. For he, Pilate, perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. Edward James insightfully remarked that this is the only occurrence of envy in the Gospels, with the exception of the parallel in Matthew 27, verse 18. Envy. What's that? Envy is grief or anger caused by another success. The religious leaders saw the fame and the success of Jesus as a threat and competition to the establishment. They totally missed Jesus, was seeking to save them from their sins and man-made religion. Jesus was not the competitor. Jesus was just a saviour. That misplaced envy led to absolute pride and rebellion, a hardened heart, I call it. And in their hardness, the chief priests, the people, and even Pilate delivered Jesus to be crucified. It was the most unjust trial that's ever conducted in history. In summary for point three, they discarded God in their hardness. If only they could see the king of the Jews was here to save. If only they could see Jesus as the Messiah, the son of the heavenly father who has come to serve us by dying on the cross. If only they could see. If only we too could see and believe. In conclusion, I've sought to show you in this sermon the full effect of an unbelieving heart. As fallen men and women, we are more than capable to defy God in our anger, deny God in our fear, and discard God in our hardness. These are the scary realities of our human heart. So what can we do? What shall we do? Well, the scripture has already shown us the way of salvation and deliverance, the way of escape and restoration. Think about it. Not even the best Christian 
or lead apostle is immune to apostasy. Nor is he beyond the promise of grace. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we can be honest about our sins. How we can defy, deny, and even discard God. Yes, we need to cry over our sins, but repent humbly before Him, just like Peter did. We can come to the true rock for our deliverance and salvation. Because one day, not long from now, Jesus said in Mark 14, verse 62, and Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And on that final day, we all will be examined by the cross. From Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has a ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And in Revelation 3 verse 3, remember then, what you receive and heard, keep it and repent. Let me end with this short inspiring story of a covenant family who believe in God and humbly submit to His sovereign plans and purposes. In July this year, after the circuit breaker, I received a request for a pastoral home visit. This family came back from overseas about five years ago. They had good jobs and were happily married with two young children. They were overjoyed to hear of the conception of the third child. However, not long after that, they received the bad news that the child is diagnosed with trisomy 18, a chromosome abnormality, also known as the Edwards syndrome. And this causes many of the baby's organs to develop in an abnormal way. Now, most T18 babies don't survive past the second or the third trimester. And even if they are born, they will be very small and frail and will typically have many serious health problems and physical defects. You know what added to their agony during this time was the husband's mother was diagnosed with thyroid stage 4 cancer in early October. It was indeed very distressing for both of them. But they decided in their hearts to trust God, keep the baby, and pray for His will to be done. What courage and faith. In the midst of these painful circumstances and struggles, the baby was finally born at about 35 weeks on 17 October. Today, the baby continues to be cared for by the doctors. The pastors and some individuals have come alongside to pray and encourage them. Yes, there are various complications and challenges with the baby. But what I'm most amazed and inspired by this couple is the simple faith and trust in God amidst the ups and downs. I'm sure they had their fair share of whys and fears, but they simply come before God humbly each day to seek His grace and mercy. We don't know what the future holds for this baby, but one thing I can testify about this family, 
they want to take their shelter and refuge at the cross. They intend to trust the Lord regardless of the outcome. And I'm exceedingly proud of their faith and perseverance. They have modeled for us what it means to hang on to God despite of the circumstances, to have persevering faith in the goodness of God. Oh, may God be glorified through this situation. May their testimony go far and wide for the Lord Jesus Christ. To God be the glory. Let's pray together. As you bow your heads in silence and come in worship before God on this day, perhaps you are facing a situation you don't understand now. Or perhaps when you hear this sermon, you may be fearful of running into a situation that might tempt you to defy, deny, and even discard God. So whether you are facing a difficult situation now or maybe sometime in the future, the question is, how will you respond? Then let me ask you to review the five truths that I shared at the end of point one by Pastor Rick Warren. When you feel that God is unfair, revisit that five truths. And I just like to quote a small portion which I did earlier on so that we can apply it concretely. Pastor Rick Warren says, now I start each day with the phrase, God is good. That gives me the focus that everything that happens to me may not be fair or may not be good. But as it goes through a good God, then it is changed into something that happens for my good. Brothers and sisters, is this something you can commit to daily in your discipleship? Remember that our Lord Jesus Christ has gone before us in this. When He died on the cross 2,000 years ago, many thought it was a terrible tragedy. But it turned out to be the greatest gift for mankind. And today, humanity owe it all to Him. At the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. And I'm in all of you. I'm in all of you. Would you continue to remain in this posture of worship and let this song minister to you?
I have one reflection question for us today. What do you think of Pastor Rick Warren's statement? Now I start each day with the phrase, God is good. But that gives me the focus that everything that happens to me may not be fair or may not be good. But as it goes through a good God, then it is changed into something that happens for my good. Would you right now bow your heads, open up your hearts and your hands as you receive God's blessing and benediction? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ keep you always. In his name we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word, and we hope that the message has ministered to you. Should you require more assistance, kindly call 6892-6811, or you can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.